one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Uh, if you're not really familiar with the New Testament, um, I'd encourage you to maybe start out with the Gospel of John, read through the Gospel of John, and in John chapter 11, I see one of, one of my personal favorite parts of the Bible. It's one of those moments in the Bible, in the story of Jesus' life and ministry, where um, you're just in many ways stunned at this man, Jesus. And it comes when Jesus' good friend, his brother Lazarus, not his literal brother, but his friend, his brother in Christ, Lazarus, dies. And uh, Mary and Martha come to Jesus and they tell him, Jesus, Lazarus is dying. And then he, he makes his way to Lazarus' house and he hears that Lazarus is dead. And then you see there in John, I think it's John 11, the shortest verse in the Bible, two words, uh, Jesus wept. And that word there, wept, is, is actually a much more intriguing and more profound word than the translation we have for us. It, it really means um, not just sort of crying, but a, a desperate inner pain and longing and even anger, uh, sort of a, a guttural grunt <laughs> at, at the fallen nature and condition in which this world finds itself. That's, that's how Jesus reacts when he hears that his friend Lazarus has died. He reacts with deep sorrow and mourning and sadness. Isn't that amazing? If Jesus is who he says he is, that God can have sorrow like that. Have you ever had moments of desperate sorrow, of deep, deep mourning and ache and pain? The Christian testimony, the gospel of Jesus, invites you in your pain, in your sorrow, in your desperate longing for the renewal of this world to go to God and relate to Him as a God who in many ways invites us into mourning together. And He promises that in the mourning that we experience in this life, He will meet us as our comforter. Now, we're in the middle of this series. This is our third week in what we're calling Following Jesus. And most of this series is going to be looking at these first few verses of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount that are called the Beatitudes. And there are nine of them. This is the second one we're looking at tonight. And each of these are characteristics of what it's like to live life in the kingdom. They are identifying marks of what it means to follow Jesus. And we saw last week, very interestingly, right, that Jesus begins by saying that those who are going to be a part of my kingdom are those who are going to be poor. <laughs> they are those who express their own need and their own dependence first. Those are the people for whom my kingdom belongs. And tonight, Jesus continues to, in a very counterintuitive way, surprise us with what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He says there in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be or shall be comforted. And so I want to just ask a couple of questions of that text for us tonight. But if you get anything, I want you to hear this main idea, okay? Here's, I think, the main thing that God has for us in this portion of his word. Following Jesus means you have the freedom to mourn. Following Jesus means you have the freedom to mourn and you have the comfort of the gospel. Following Jesus means you have the freedom to mourn and the comfort of the gospel, okay? So four questions real quick as we plow through this verse that are, I think, helpful for us to understand it more fully. What does it mean to mourn? When should we mourn? Why don't we mourn? 
And how in our mourning are we comforted? What does it mean to mourn? When should we mourn? Why don't we mourn? And how in our mourning are we comforted? You ready? All right, let's do it. What does it mean to mourn? Jesus says there in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. To mourn is, it is the, excuse me, the expression of deep sorrow and ache and pain. And you'll notice an immediate and stunning irony in this verse. You, know, you see what Jesus is saying there? He says basically, happy are the sad ones. <laughs> Blessed are those who are experiencing and expressing pain and sorrow. That is quite ironic. How can a happy person or how can a sad person be happy? How is that a blessing? Well, I don't think Jesus is saying, and when he says, blessed are those who mourn, that mourning in and of itself is a good thing, or that the sadness that you're experiencing, the pain you're experiencing, the ache that you're going through in life is something that you should in some way cherish or long for more of. No, he's not saying that. But I think what he's saying is, is that in our sorrow and pain and sadness, in our desperate longings for a better life and a better world, we can freely express those feelings knowing that God will meet us in the middle of them. So that's what Jesus means when he says, blessed are those who mourn. It's not that the fallenness of this world and the mourning that we experience because the world has fallen is good, but it's okay for us to experience mourning. It's okay for us to express sorrow, and when we do that, Jesus will comfort us. Another word for mourning that's very common in people who talk about the Bible is the word lament. And I want you, to, this is really important, I want you to get this. The Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you, you need to know this. The Bible is full of lament. About a third of the Psalms, which is the song book, the hymn book of the Bible, right in the middle. You open the Bible to the middle, chances are you're going to get the Psalms. About a third of them are what are called Psalms of Lament. In other words, they're expressions of sorrow. They're expressions of pain. They're expressions of mourning. And I, I want to just put forward to you this idea. God is okay with you feeling that way. God is comfortable enough, let me put it this, God is comfortable enough with who he is as God for you to come even to him in your mourning and in your sorrow. God is, he's okay. He has a pretty strong view of himself. He can handle you coming to him with laments. And, and there's so many examples of that in the Bible. I thought it would do as well just for me to read a little bit from Psalm 44, which is one of the many psalms of lament, to give you a feeling for some of how the Bible discusses and talks about and expresses the human experience of mourning and of sorrow. Listen to what the psalmist says here. This is of the sons of Korah. And this person's talking to God, okay? So keep that in mind. You have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies You've made us turn back from the foe. You've made us like sheep for slaughter, and you've scattered us among the nations. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. We've not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. Awake. Why are you sleeping, God? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Have you ever talked to God like that? 
that's okay. The Bible's full of that sort of expressions to our Father. And God is okay with you bringing your mourning, your doubts, your anger, your sorrow to Him. That's what it means to mourn, okay? Uh, So second, when should we mourn? It's not always appropriate to mourn over everything in our lives. So when is it a good thing or when is it an appropriate thing to mourn so that we can be comforted? Let me just say this at the outset as we get to this second question. Um, I feel like in our day, so much of the Christian world and the Christian sort of subculture in America has just nixed, has just sort of sliced off this side of the Christian life. Uh, It's not okay to be sad. Uh, There's sort of a culture that Christians, you know, always have to be happy, clappy, skippy, jumpy, smiley, cheesy. And, And I'll never forget an experience I had that vividly brought this home to me. When I was a freshman at Baylor, Waco is like the most happy, clappy, religious place in America, and many things about it make me sick. Um, and one of these things was this, there's this massive, massive Christian bookstore in Waco, and I went early in my life at Baylor to a book, this bookstore, having never been there before, but I had been in a lot of Christian bookstores like this because I grew up in the church. But I went with a guy who was a, not a believer in Jesus, who didn't follow Jesus, who really had virtually no familiarity with Christianity. He was from Southern California. He had just come to Waco, and he's already in culture shock just being at Baylor. And uh, so we go into this bookstore together, and, you know, you look around, and it's all these happy Jesus, you know, white Jesus, of course, white painting of Jesus, smiling, you know, with giving you a little thumbs up almost, and all the happy books, and all the little happy posters, and the little thing of mints that are supposed to make your breath smell good. These are Christian mints, testaments, all these things. You know, I had sort of taken for granted, and my buddy is looking around, and he is freaked out. And I'm like, dude, what's wrong? (laughs) And he goes, I feel like sad people aren't allowed in this place. And I will never forget those words (laughs) because I had never thought of that until that moment. And I looked around and I thought, man, you know, that's true. I I think it's important for us just to recognize that there is a large place for sadness in the Christian life. (laughs) Welcome to Christchurch. We want you to be sad. No, not really. Um, But... It's okay to express the emotions of living in a world that's deeply, deeply wounded and broken. Uh, This world is a mess. This world has big problems, and I don't think it's a stretch for me to say that every person in this room is living a life that has big problems. And sometimes you just want to cry. Sometimes you just want to spit. Sometimes you're just ticked. Sometimes you just want to go to bed early. Sometimes you're just sad, and that is okay. That is part of what it means to be a Christian. You know, in the Bible, we see this all the time, other than in the Psalms. Even in heaven, we see this, by the way. In Revelation, it talks about the saints who have died at the throne of God. They're sitting at the throne of God. And you know what they're doing there? They're not singing. Yes, they do sing. But at this point, they're not singing. They're saying, how long, O Lord? How long is this going to go on? How long is this world going to be this way? They're mourning. It's okay. In fact, it's needed for you to mourn. When? Well, for one, we should undoubtedly mourn over our own sin. We should mourn over the fact that 
if you're here and you're a believer, if you follow Jesus for some time, you oftentimes feel like you're not making any progress. <laughs> your, your conscience is stricken by your persistent and continued struggles with the same sins that have plagued you for years. Yes, that is at times an occasion for you to mourn. But it's not the only time we should mourn. You know, most of the commentators I read on Matthew 5, 4 say just that. They say, Jesus is saying here that we should mourn over our sin. But, but that's actually not what Jesus says. The only problem with that interpretation is that's not what he says. That's always a problem, by the way, in Bible interpretation. When you say Jesus is saying this and then you look at the text and that's not what Jesus is saying, problem. Um, it is okay and necessary to mourn over our sin, but Jesus just said, blessed are those who mourn, period, for they shall be comforted. So I think, it, yes, we should mourn over our sin, but I, I actually think Jesus is saying something more here. I think he's saying that we should, and it is right for us at times in our lives, to mourn over the state in which this world and our lives are in. We should mourn. Listen, we should mourn over the fact that during Super Bowl week in the United States of America, Modern slavery increases about tenfold in the United States. That is something that should cause us deep mourning. We should mourn over the fact that functionally an entire generation of unborn Americans have been murdered in the womb. We should mourn over the fact that it seems like all of our relationships at some time or another are going to experience a fracturing, either because of something we perceive they have done or because of something we know we've done. We should mourn over the fact that there is perpetual and persistent war in many parts of our world. We should mourn over the fact that in many lands and in many nations, unjust rulers oppress the poor. We should mourn over the fact that in our culture more and more what is evil is being called good and what is good is being called evil. This world is broken. It's fractured. It is bent and it should cause Christians to mourn. We should be sad and sorrowful over these things. It is an appropriate response for the follower of Jesus to when he or she sees how messed up and despicable many things in this world are and many things in our lives are, simply cry tears of sorrow over them. It's a good thing, even. And it's certainly an appropriate thing. Those are just a couple of instances of when we should mourn. Now, let me ask this. Why don't we? I'm, I'm persuaded that... Um, very infrequently do we actually mourn in, in our world, in our lives. And this is particularly true of men. Um, and I say this as a man who has a hard time expressing my feelings in this way. Men, it's for some reason, there's a lot of reasons I'm sure, um, have been taught generally from a very early age that you should never cry, you should never express weakness, you should never show your emotions, bad, 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 bad. And just in our culture at large, it's a huge problem, particularly for Christians. We don't feel comfortable with the sort of feelings that are oftentimes very appropriate for us to feel when we think about the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of the world. So why don't we mourn? I mean, I think one reason is simply because we haven't been given examples or taught how to do that well. I know that's true for me. Um, I think another reason is because, frankly, it is very, very painful. And as Americans... 
Heck, it's not just Americans, come on, it's most people, but particularly Americans. We do not like pain. And we will do almost anything to avoid it. And listen, I'm not going to pick any, you know, there's no, there's no pulling punches here with Jesus. Mourning is not something you're going to enjoy. It's not fun. It's not going to be a delight to you. It is painful. It's really hard. You know, you, you've cried so much that you just can't do it anymore. You're so sad and despondent that you don't know what to do. It's, it's just, it's a painful thing, but a necessary and good thing. I think that's one reason why we don't mourn. Maybe another one is because, um, is because you're just disengaged from reality. So another thing that I think is, is common in the American church, I know it's common in my life, is that we're so often fed these things that I was just talking about, you know, abortion, oppression, the poor, et cetera, et cetera, that it just becomes like, you know, the blather of the news to us, and it doesn't affect us in the way it once did. Or the, the mess and brokenness of our own lives doesn't affect us in the way it once did. And so rather than mourning over all the bad things and over all the things that we can't figure out, we just disengage. That might look in a lot of different ways for you. You might uh, you know, sit down and just watch a couple of hours of TV every night. You might uh, refuse to have conversations that are going to cause these sorts of painful feelings to come to the surface. You might only want to talk about surface-level issues that you feel very comfortable with, like me, uh, college football, NBA basketball, nerdy fantasy books, things like that, and refuse to talk about things that are significant and deep and are going to force us to live in community together, sometimes in sadness. Part of the reason we don't mourn is because we disengage. Maybe part of the reason you don't mourn and I don't mourn as well or as often as we should is because we're simply hardened. Maybe we, maybe we don't think the world is as bad as it really is or as lo- our lives are as bad as they really are because, because our lack of regular repentance and time in God's Word, our lack of a daily intimate relationship with Him has to a certain degree hardened our hearts against the wickedness of this world. I remember when I was a young man, I had a friend, an acquaintance in high school whose younger brother, this kid was probably about 11, got uh, diagnosed with a terminal form of cancer, and over the course of about a year, he fought it, but he eventually died, and a 12-year-old boy died. It's a terrible thing, horribly tragic thing, and I remember going to the funeral, and his older brother, with whom I was friends, was a, he was a tough guy, he was a jock, he was a really popular um, you know, just, you know what I mean. And, uh, I, man, I will never forget him walking down the aisle, holding his mom, who was just, I mean, weeping on his shoulder. And his face was like, I'm telling you, it was stone. And uh, you, could, you could see the gears clicking in his head. He wanted to cry. Like, he physically, I don't know the physiology of it, but I knew he, like, needed to physically weep. He needed to express his sorrow, but he simply refused. He was too hard. There was no way. I mean, your brothers just died, man. Come on. It's okay. But no, stone cold all the way down the aisle. Some of us are like that. Maybe not to that degree. But undoubtedly, to some degree, we've disengaged. We've hardened ourselves. We simply don't want to deal with the pain. There's a lot of reasons why we don't mourn, but friends, Jesus 
tells us very clearly here and in many other places that the life in the kingdom, the life of following him will entail a life that sometimes means we have to deal with the pain and the ache and the heartbrokenness of our lives and of this world. And when we deal with those things, he promises to meet us in them. So forth, how does Jesus comfort us? He promises that he will do it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be promised there. It's going to happen. You will be comforted. How? How does Jesus comfort mourners as we learn to express these emotions in healthier ways and at appropriate times? How can we expect Jesus to show up? First, let me just say this. Two things real quick and then we're done. First, we can expect that Jesus is going to show up because Jesus himself mourned. And by the way, that is utterly unique to the Christian faith. (laughs) You ever thought about that? We believe that God is infinite and eternal, that he has always existed and that he always will exist and that he doesn't change. He is without fault. He is without error. His character is perfectly holy. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly good. He's perfectly righteous. He has always been that way and always will be that way. And that God entered into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And that God, as Jesus wept, as we talked about a minute ago. That God, as Jesus, experienced life all alone. That God, as Jesus, had his friends and family betray him publicly. That God, as Jesus, sat on his knees in the garden the night before he was going to be crucified and said, God, with tears and blood coming out of his pores, God, if it's possible, can we please do this in some other way? That is the infinite and eternal and unchanging God coming down, condescending to us in the person of Jesus. God is a God of mourning. No other religion claims such a crazy thing. No other religion dares say that their God has entered into our world and experienced the emotions that we experience in a perfectly well-adjusted and healthy way so that he now, as the risen Savior, understands what it's like when we experience those emotions. No, the other religions say you should be hardened and stoic, or you should try at all costs to avoid pain, or you should understand that pain and sorrow are simply an illusion, and when you realize that, things will be well for you. No, those are all lies. Pain is real. It's very real. Sorrow is real. It's very real. And God knows that because God experienced it himself. And because you worship a God who has experienced pain and who knows what it's like to mourn, you can be utterly confident that that God will come and help you when you are mourning. And and secondly, we know that God will comfort us in our mourning, not just because he knows what it's like, but because in his mourning, he redeems us out of ours. (laughs) You see, God's mourning, the mourning of God in Jesus didn't just happen so that he can identify with us and understand us. No, it happened so that our own mourning can be redeemed. You see, that's what the cross does. The, The ultimate act of mourning in the history of humanity was the cross of Jesus. The saddest moment since the creation of this world was when the Son of God died on a cross. And yet, also at that moment, we see the hope for renewal in all of our mourning and in all of our sadness. 
You see, God doesn't just understand what it's like to mourn and therefore comfort you. But no, God in his mourning provides a way for you to be comforted. In the cross, God is promising that this mourning, this sorrow, and this pain is not going to last forever. No, there will be renewal. In the cross and in the empty tomb, God is promising. He's promising to you and proving it by raising him, being raised from the dead that sorrow and loss, while they're appropriate expressions in this life, will have nothing to do with our future lives. While now following Jesus involves pain, after the resurrection and renewal of all things, following Jesus will only involve the memory of former pain. While now we cry tears at the sadness of death and loss and heartache and abandonment, one day we know God will wipe those tears away. He will wipe them all away. And we will live in a kingdom where there is no more mourning. You see, when you believe that that is true, you are helped and comforted in your mourning now. Jesus says, blessed Blessed, happy are those who mourn. It's an appropriate expression of life in a fallen world. And when you are in the deepest and darkest moment of mourning in this life, you can know that Jesus is there to comfort you because he has been through it and he is taking you to a place through the cross and empty grave where mourning will no longer be a reality but will simply be a memory. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us in the gospel. And, Father, these are confusing words for us, for me. It's hard to wrap my mind around the idea of being sad, expressing mourning and sorrow in a life that oftentimes is filled with pain, and know that that is okay, and that in that you're going to come and meet with us and help us. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you would help us each as we go through difficulty in life, as we face pain in life, not to deflect it, not to negate it, not to seek to drown it out with substances or television or hobbies, but rather to accept it, not because it's good, but because we know that in it you are close to us. You are near to the brokenhearted. You are near to those who are weeping and sorrowful. And so, Father, in our sorrow, in those times where we're sad, will you please help us and come and comfort us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.